Peace be upon you. So people have an interesting fascination with con artists, so much so that their stories have generated billions from captivated audiences who get a thrill from seeing the lengths individuals go to in order to trick and deceive others. Most recently, Netflix made a limited series based on the real-life con artist Anna Sorkin, who from 2013 to 2017 pretended to be a wealthy German heiress under the name Anna Delvey in order to defraud banks, hotels, and wealthy acquaintances. In 2019, she was convicted for her crimes and later received over $350,000 from Netflix to obtain the rights to her story. Luckily, the courts seized this money after receiving it and paid it as restitution for her victims. But in addition to this, we have other movies like The Wolf of Wall Street, which is based on another real-life con artist by the name of Jordan Belfort, who sold fraudulent securities to unwise investors and made millions off this. Interestingly enough, this movie about a con artist was largely financed in the tune of $100 million by another real-life con artist by the name of Jolo, who skimmed billions from the Malaysian Sovereign Wealth Fund, 1MDB. And sure enough, I guarantee someone's making a movie about this right now. But what is it about con artists and their scams that make them so captivating? I think this is because this narrative is ingrained in our history, in our DNA of being a human. This is a tale that resonates so well with us because we can all relate to this story even before our arrival here on Earth. And to understand this, we need to go back to the very first con artist in history, that of Satan. When God created our parents Adam and Eve and placed them in paradise, he gave them a single command, do not approach this one tree. Now, one can ask, why would God have created such a tree in paradise if the only purpose, according to Adam and Eve, was for it to not be approached? Wouldn't it have been easier to not have placed this tree in paradise? And then this way, Adam and Eve wouldn't have been tempted or let alone had the opportunity to be evicted from paradise. A system that God utilizes for his creations is whatever their innermost thoughts are, He's going to create scenarios to bring out their true convictions. For instance, God saw the arrogance and rebelliousness in the heart of Satan, so he created a scenario to bring out Satan's true convictions. He created this lowly individual by the name of Adam made from mud, and he had all the angels fall prostrate before Adam. And this was the scenario necessary to bring out the arrogance that was hidden in the chest of Satan. So Satan can see for himself why he was exiled from God. If God simply kicked out Satan, said, hey, look, I see the arrogance in your heart, get out, people are going to be confused. Satan's going to object. But by creating a scenario that brings out Satan's true convictions, Satan and all the constituents can see for themselves why Satan is exiled from God's kingdom. And they see that this is a decision that Satan brought upon himself. Similarly, for Adam and Eve, God knew that there was some deficiency in their hearts. So God created a scenario whereby their hidden evil was exposed. But God does this not just to rub our nose in our deficiencies. God does this that for those who deserve to be saved, those who have reverence in their hearts, can learn from their mistakes and rectify their souls. Notice both Adam and Satan fell from grace by defying God's commandments. In the case of Satan, 
he refused to prostrate when commanded. And in the case of Adam, he approached the one tree that God told him not to approach. Yet despite both of them falling in sin and exposing the deficiency, notice that Adam repented and reformed, while Satan doubled down on his arrogance and said, God, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to show you that these human beings are unappreciative. So while this scenario strengthened one, allowing them to draw closer to God, it only repelled the other further away from God. So that's kind of a tangent. So back to the, the, the con artist of Satan. Notice that God did not provide Adam and his wife with a reason or justification for not approaching this tree. God simply stated that the rule in this paradise is that you're free to have whatever you want without toil, without work, with the exception that they are not allowed to approach this tree, this simple commandment. And this was essential part of Satan's trap because a con always plays off the emotions of someone to try to obtain what they don't have. And in order to do this, scarcity must be created. Think about the fact of paradise. You have infinite amounts of provisions. Whatever you want is handed to you. At that case, there's nothing that Satan could offer Adam and Eve in order to tempt them, in order to sway them into something. In order for him to be able to play out his uh, con, he needs to provide something of scarcity. And this tree was just the measure he needed in order to pull off his con. Because if Satan came and offered them food and shelter and clothing, they already had abundance of this. But the one thing that they were forbidden from was this one tree. And Satan used this as a pull in order to get them to fall for his trap. But there's also another motivation that is utilized by con artists. And that is providing the mark a confidence and certainty that the information they're giving them is exactly what they need to hear and follow in order to get their prize. People are attracted towards individuals who have confidence, people who have certainty. And this is where the word con man or con artist comes from. It is shortening of the term confidence man because it is through confidence that individuals are able to be swindled by others just like Satan did to Adam and Eve. The devil offered Adam and Eve two things through his con. The first was that the devil offered them something that was scarce, something that they did not have access to, that of the tree. The one item in, the, in all of paradise that was off limits. Secondly, the devil offered them confidence by providing them a reason as to why the commandment was given. And since they did not have a competing hypothesis, they accepted the information. And we see this spelt out in Surah 7, verse 19. It says, As for you, Adam, dwell with your wife in paradise, and eat therefrom as you please. But do not approach this one tree, lest you fall in sin. Through this command, God created both scarcity and doubt, which was essential for Satan to be able to carry through with his con. Firstly, for making the tree prohibited, and secondly, for offering no reason for this commandment, it gave just enough wiggle room for Satan to carry through with his scheme. And it continues in Surah 7, verse 20 through 21. It says, The devil whispered to them in order to reveal their bodies, which were invisible to them. He said, Your Lord did not forbid you from this tree except to prevent you from becoming angels and from attaining eternal existence. He swore to them, I am giving you good advice. 
Now, Satan is exploiting this situation because Adam and Eve did not know why they were not allowed to go by this tree. Satan duped them by giving them a lie. And since they didn't have a competing hypothesis against this, and Satan swore to them that he's giving them good advice, they bought Satan's lie hook, line, and sinker. Satan exploited this by providing them access to this one scarce resource, this prohibited tree, and the confidence that he knew the reason for this prohibition, and he swore to them that he's giving them good advice. And it continues in 722, he thus duped them with lies. As soon as they tasted the tree, their bodies became visible to them, and they tried to cover themselves with the leaves of paradise. Their Lord called upon them, that I not enjoin you from that tree and warn you that the devil is your most ardent enemy. And like most cons, they immediately realized that they've been duped. And Satan exploited this vulnerability that the human being has, that they want what they can't have, that they were willing to accept information that they can't verify is true. Humans have a deficiency that we are not comfortable not knowing. If something is not disclosed to us, we are very quick to begin coming up with all kinds of theories and reasons and motivations. While this can be good if used productively, a lot of times it can send individuals astray. And this is in stark contrast to the angels. And this is apparent to the angel's response when presented with Adam and commanded to fall prostrate. We read in Surah 2, verse 30 through 34, the angel's response to the knowledge that God has given them. It reads, Recall that your Lord said to the angels, I am placing a representative, a Khalifa, on earth. They said, Will you place therein one who will spread evil therein and shed blood while we sing your praises and glorify you and uphold your absolute authority? He said, I know what you do not know. He taught Adam all the names, then presented them to the angels, saying, Give me the names of these if you're right. They, the angels, said, Be you glorified. We have no knowledge except that which you taught us. You are omniscient, most wise. The fact is that the angels realized their shortcomings. They realized that God has bestowed certain knowledge upon them, and for that they can act upon. But there's much knowledge that they don't know. But when it comes to the human being, we are under the impression that we know everything. And it continues in 233, he said, Oh, Adam, tell them their names. When he told them their names, he said, Did I not tell you that I know the secrets of the heavens and the earth? I know what you declare and what you conceal. When we said to the angels, Fall prostrate before Adam, they fell prostrate. Except Satan, he refused, was too arrogant and a disbeliever. Notice that when the angels were commanded to fall prostrate, they did without exception. They didn't ask why. Why are you asking me to do this, God? They hear and they obey. But Satan was different. He refused. He wanted to have a reason because his understanding to this situation, to this commandment, didn't make sense. And because of that, he objected. This is because Satan has the same deficiency as the human being, which is if he doesn't understand something, he's willing to object and rebel against the command even if it's coming directly from God. Consider the example of the children of Israel and the commandment they were given to sacrifice the heifer and their objections to carrying out what they are told. This is a human trait that if something is commanded to us that doesn't make sense, it doesn't harm us, but it doesn't make sense, we're going to object. 
We're going to complain. We're going to rebel against God. It is the lack of information and their senseless speculation that causes people to fall for such cons. But it's one thing to be conned out of money or your property or your wealth. But it's a whole nother thing to be conned out of your souls. These are the worst kind of con artists. Many are familiar with religious con artists who guarantee their followers salvation if they follow them blindly and give them from their money and their wealth. Yet they use the billions that they generate only to fulfill their luxurious lifestyles and leave their uh, followers hopeless, broke and lost. One of the most famous of these kind of con artists was a uh, preacher by the name of Jimmy Swaggart, who had millions of followers, generated hundreds of millions of dollars for himself, only to fall from grace when he was busted for numerous encounters over the years with prostitutes. Ironically, in a famous debate with Ahmadidat regarding the legitimacy of the Quran and the faith of worship of God alone, he claimed that proof that his message was the word of God and that he was divinely inspired was the fact that he was a perfect human being. Yet it wasn't long after that he completely fell from grace and was proven to be a hypocrite in everything he said, stated, and did. In Surah 63 verse 4, God warns us about the hypocrites. It says, when you see them, you may be impressed by their looks. And when they speak, you may listen to their eloquence. They are like standing logs. They think that every call is intended against them. These are the real enemies. Beware of them. God condemns them. They have deviated. In Surah 9 verse 34, God warns us, says, O you who believe, many religious leaders and preachers take the people's money illicitly and repel from the path of God. Those who hoard the gold and silver and do not spend them in the cause of God promise them a painful retribution. These individuals are like the Sumerian who took the people's wealth and molded it into a calf idol for them to worship. But there's also the other kind of con artist who swindles people out of their souls. And these are the atheist con artists who convinces individuals that there is no God, that there is no good and evil, that there is no day of judgment, that we're here temporarily and when we die, we go to nothing. And this is just as bad as the ones who lead individuals astray with their idol worship and false gods. What is it about these con artists that captivate so many people to buy into their lies? What these people provide is a sense of certainty. When individuals see someone so unabashedly make a proclamation and believe it with such conviction, it just draws people to them. People are drawn to that level of certainty, that level of confidence. They're mesmerized by their ability of being able to be so black and white on every topic. The fact that Jimmy Swaggart can stand there in front of millions of people and claim that he is reason, he is proof to why his message is true is because he's a perfect human being, despite the numerous amounts of blatant sins that every single human being can recognize, that he does this with a straight face. It makes people buy into his lies because it's hard for us to perceive the lies and deceptions of certain individuals when they look so trustworthy. God provides us lessons in the Quran that things are going to happen in our life that are not going to make sense. 
And this is best depicted in the history of Moses and his teacher, who carried out acts that Moses objected to because he could not comprehend why an individual would do such things. But in addition to things in life, there are things in the Quran that are not going to make sense. Either why is the meat of pigs contaminated and prohibited from eating? Or how exactly are we making contact with God when we do our Salat? Or why do we recite the Fatiha in Arabic during Salat? Or if God is doing everything, where does free will come in? And these lists of questions can go on and on and on. But this is where submission comes in. The word Islam, it has two meanings. One is submission. The other one is peace. That if you want to have peace in your life, you have to submit to the will of God. Now, God won't necessarily answer all the questions in the manner that you want. There's still going to be some stuff that he's going to choose not to inform you about. But if we trust in God and we trust in his system, we realize that he has our best interest in mind. That everything that happens in our life is perfectly orchestrated in order to be able to draw us closer to God. And only those who are repelled by God are the ones who are going to be sent astray. In Surah 5 verse 101 it reads, O you who believe, do not ask about matters which if revealed to you prematurely would hurt you. If you ask about them in the light of the Quran, they will become obvious to you. God has deliberately overlooked them. God is forgiver, clement. God intentionally leaves ambiguity in the Quran, in our world, in this life, to see, to test us, to see, do we trust in God when things are not clear, when things don't make sense, or do we only trust in God when we can wrap our heads around it? Because that's not real trust. In Surah 20 verse 114, it reads, Most exalted is God, the only true King. Do not rush into uttering the Quran before it is revealed to you and say, My Lord, increase my knowledge. If something's not clear for us, the source we need to go to is God. And if God wills, He'll give us the right answer for any question we might have. But it's this human tendency that where there's gaps in our knowledge, we love to fill them with certain understandings that we have no basis for. And God warns us about this. In 366, it says, You have argued about things you knew. Why do you argue about things you do not know? God knows while you do not know. You know, human beings, we have this amazing gift of creativity. And again, this can be used for good or for bad. When there's gaps in our knowledge for information that God did not disclose to us, we love to fight and bicker over this. But the, the best thing to do is to say we hear and we obey. It might not make sense to us, but if we trust in God and we investigated that this book is from God, then we accept it wholeheartedly. Take the example of Jesus. In the day of resurrection, God is going to question Jesus. And the response that Jesus gives is a world of insight for us to learn from. It reads in Surah 5 verse 116, it says, God will say, O Jesus, son of Mary, did you say to the people, make me and my mother idols beside God? He will say, be you glorified. I could not utter what was not right. Had I said it, you already would have known it. You know my thoughts, and I do not know your thoughts. You know all secrets. Jesus is saying that he could not utter what was not right, what he did not have information or knowledge on. But then in addition, he understands that he does not know the mind of God, that there was certain knowledge bestowed upon him that he shared with the people. But he didn't extrapolate this to get into grounds where he did not know, into matters that were not bestowed upon him. In Surah 21, verse 37, it reads, 
The human being is impatient by nature. I will inevitably show you my signs. Do not be in such a hurry. It's this disdain that we have with ambiguity, with uncertainty, that it allows the devil to come in to instill his thoughts, to sow discord and doubt into the hearts of the believers, to drive them away from God, to give them interpretations that contradict the Quran. And people gravitate towards this because it sounds right, because it gives them clarity. It gives them something to fill that void in. But the thing that we have to be conscientious of is that we have to be patient, that when the time is right, God is going to give us the right understanding. And if he doesn't, we still submit. And again, this is the meaning of the word submitter, Muslim. It's someone who submits to the will of God. But it's also what gives us peace. It gives us peace of mind, knowing that God is on the throne, that God is dictating everything. That when God gives us a commandment, even if it doesn't make sense to us, we trust in God wholeheartedly. And we don't go to other sources looking for answers and clarity on these matters. That at the right time, if God wills it, if we do the things that please Him, He'll give us that insight that we're looking for and give our hearts the contentment that we desire. In Surah 10 verse 57 it reads, O people, enlightenment has come to you herein from your Lord and healing for anything that troubles your hearts and guidance and mercy for the believers. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions, please hit us up at crontalk at gmail.com. If you want to join our community, we've been very active on Discord, and you can get the invite link below. And if you want to follow along the verses of the Quran, please download the Quran Study app on the iOS App Store. If you don't have an iOS device, you can go to the QuranStudyApp.com website. And until next time, peace and God bless.